0: It's the Locked On Aggies podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network. Talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Hey, howdy everybody and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M, and today We're going to be looking at Justin Matabike, his phenomenal combine, and where he could land in this year's NFL draft. Plus, more news coming out of Texas A&M as a former starting player has also entered the transfer portal, making it two starters from last year, potentially leaving College Station. We'll be breaking down that in just a quick moment. But for starters, just some housekeeping rules. Make sure you're following us on social media at Locked On Aggies. Locked On Aggies is your number one spot for all your podcast needs. You can check out all of our great work at lockedonpodcast.com. Second, check out Aggies SI. SI's, All Aggies, and the Locked On Podcast Network have partnered together to give you quality content surrounding all things Texas A&M, Check out all of our great written work, as well as every single episode of Locked on Aggies at si.com slash T-A-M-U. And last but not least, if you like me, you like what I say, you don't like what what I say, it's really simple. All you got to do is follow me at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am a mister. My name is Cole Thompson. It's that simple. Don't wear it out. At Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI. And last but not least, Locked on Aggies. Like we said at the start, we will be talking a lot about Justin Matabique today. He had a phenomenal combine performance. I actually spoke to several of my scouting friends. They said that he has solidified himself as a top 50 player on most draft boards, and he should be an early selection, probably somewhere on early day two, but some are even saying early day one. We'll break that that down in just a quick moment, but for now, let's turn our attention to Texas A&M as a whole and... It was really shocking news earlier this year when it was announced that Jay Sean Corbin, the former starting running back, would be leaving Texas A&M, entering the transfer portal, and ultimately going back to Tallahassee, Florida to play for Mike Norvell and the Florida State Seminoles. That was the team that he originally was going to play for coming out of Rockledge when Jimbo Fisher was there. When Fisher left the program, he offered a scholarship to Corbin to come to College Station That lasted for two years. One was because of Travion Williams was in the running, so you knew he was going to get a majority of the carries. I think Corbin only had 103 rushing yards that year, or 303 rushing yards that year, one touchdown this past year. He played in a game and a half before injuring his hamstring, missing the remainder of the season. And with the emergence of Isaiah Spiller, it looked like Corbin was going to be playing a secondary role. So he decided to go to the school that offered him first and see if he can make a name for himself with the departure of Cam Akers. Well now, another big name who came from the same recruiting class as Corbin has entered into the transfer portal or at least could be entering into the transfer portal. Starting sophomore safety Leon O'Neal Jr. tweeted out earlier this week that he would be leaving College Station, entering the transfer portal, and looking for elsewhere to play for the 2020 season. Last Thursday, he would tweet out, I want to thank Texas A&M for everything. Every game was won I'll never forget. Win, lose, or draw, the 12th man never lost their spirit. I want to thank my brothers for the love and support. Our bond will forever be lasting. I have now placed myself in the transfer portal. Hashtag wake them up. The biggest thing with wake them up is it just shows how impressive a social media presence can have when it comes to a player. Few players had that type of demeanor surrounding AM like O'Neal Jr., He was a guy who on social media helped represent the Aggies in a positive light, keep fans excited about the season coming ahead. Uh, This is a guy who, when I look at in the future, is going to have a tremendous career as a self-marketing specialist because of everything that he does already is leading towards him being that type of guy at the next level. So I do think that no matter where he ends up going, he could have still a stellar career because of his physical presence on social media, but also his playing career. I mean, you literally look at his numbers. He had a very solid playing career during his time at Texas A&M. As a two-year player, getting nine starts this past season, he collected 55 total tackles, five tackles for losses, a pair of interceptions, four pass breakups, uh, and he also averaged 12.5 yards per interception return uh, everyone's going to probably remember his best game being that Gator Bowl against NC State at the end of last season and that's going to be a game that a lot of people are going to hopefully wonder maybe this isn't the end of Leon O'Neal with us at College Station and right now the report is there's no guarantee he does leave AM. and During Monday's fourth quarter drills, you would hear Jimbo Fisher announce the uh, assessment of what was going on. O'Neal was still on campus at the facilities, not working out with the team, but still in the process of being there. And and this is what Fisher had to say about what was going on. He's still in school with us right now. We'll handle this internally, which could mean that O'Neal is in the process of something similar to what Glenn Beal went through, where he put his name out there saw some answers, maybe saw some things that he liked, looked at some schools that maybe were interested in him, but at the same time, spoke to Coach Fisher, spoke to his family, and ultimately returned to the program as the third string blocking tight end and will be a part of the 2020 season. But here's a fun fact that we found out from Fisher. Players don't have to tell you that they're ent- entering the transfer portal. They could just one day wake up, walk out, call the NCAA, find out how to get in, and go. That's all they have to do. Fisher said, they don't have to come to us. They can just go straight to the compliance, get into the portal, and go. They can do what they want to. You'd like to meet with them and talk to them if you can. Some guys want to, some guys don't. Just make sure you have a plan. You ask them, do you have a plan of what you want to go or what you want to do? Hopefully guys don't just go do it to do it, but by the way the rules are, they can do whatever they want to do. A lot of those guys you don't want to go, but sometimes guys want to go. This is kind of complicated because of at the same time, when I look at Leon O'Neal, I do think he is a vital part of this defense. He had a great year working with Keldrick Harper uh, and Damani Richardson. He got a majority of playing time. He was a part-time starter. Part-time, you know, he maybe got the starting role, but then there were games where Richardson played more than him. But overall, This was a guy who had every intangible to be successful and made the most of his time and was expected to have a breakout campaign this upcoming season. So I don't know if Fisher's ready to let him go, but you look at some of the talent that's sitting in the wings right now with a five-star defensive back in Jalen Jones, a four-star safety, the number one safety out of Illinois in Antonio Johnson, an older Damani Richardson... I mean, if O'Neal wants to go and he doesn't want to be a part of the program, Fisher doesn't have to keep him. That's also part of the rules when you look at the whole transfer portal. You can enter it, but if you enter it, you now give up an opportunity to potentially lose your scholarship with the program and have to go join by walking on at another school or walking on at your own program. So Fisher could have the ultimate say if he wants him back. Ultimately, do I think he transfers? I do. I think that O'Neal is a great player, but I just don't know because of Keldrick Carper's back, Richardson had a good year, it just doesn't seem like he's going to be a fit as a full-time starter, and with newer guys coming up to replace at least Carper next year, maybe if he comes back, it's a one-year, and then he goes to the NFL like we saw with Debbie Renfro, but Fisher makes the ultimate call. I think he wants him back. I just don't think O'Neal wants to be back, so if this is the end, Hopefully you enjoy wherever you go, Leon. I don't have a problem with you transferring. Do what's best for your career. And I think everyone at Texas A&M, true Aggie fans, will realize you were a great part of the defense for two years, and they cannot wait to see you thrive at a different school. Speaking of thriving outside of school, Justin Matibike, the team's highlight player in this year's 2020 NFL Draft, did his combine workouts on Saturday, and boy, he had a good one. He had about as good as you can get, and we're going to be breaking that down in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, if you're not subscribed to the Locked On Podcast channels, any of them, not just mine, any single one that you like, you need to ask yourself a question. What are you doing with your life? We have over 2 dozen college football shows ready for your listening ears, plus a ton of other content surrounding tech uh, surrounding other sports, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and of course, fantasy football. So check out all of our great work at lockedonpodcast.com. Going back to NFL draft coverage, we've already broken down Braden Mann, we've looked at Courtney Davis, we've looked at Kendrick Rogers, and now it's time to look at Justin Matabike. This was the prize hen of the group of maroon and white players up at Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium this past weekend. Everyone was looking at this guy to be someone, to be a trendsetter, maybe keep the tradition of keeping AM players near the top of draft boards, and honestly... It's going to be really hard to say he wasn't a winner walking away this week. Maybe he wasn't the elite winner or the biggest winner of the day, but you can't say that he was a loser by any sense of the word. When you look at his numbers, he was voted as one of the top combine performers. He finished in the top five. In bench press, he had 31 reps on the bench, only following Khalil Davis, Kenny Wilkis, and Devon Hamilton out of Ohio State. They all had 32 and 33 reps. Then you also got to look at some of his other things. The three-cone drill, a 7.37 plus a 1.37 10-yard split along with a 4.83 40-yard dash time at near 295 pounds, really 300 pounds if you want to round it up, to be completely honest. Kid was flying. Kid was making a name for himself. Kid was doing everything that you wanted. Matipike leaves College Station as a winner. He leaves Indianapolis as a big-time winner. And now you wonder what his stock is going to be. I reached out to a couple scouts that I really like, guys who I've been talking to for a couple years, and they all told me the same thing. I don't know if he's a first-round prospect. Maybe some teams view him that way. Maybe other teams believe he could be a solid addition on day two, but he certainly has solidified himself as one of the better defensive linemen in this year's draft class. And I don't really think I needed to hear that. I watched his film. I watched him live. I watched what he was able to do this year. He was dominant. A two-year starter, even though he did split reps with both uh, Daylon Mack and Kingsley Kiki last year, he still played a majority of the plays. And now you have to look at where his numbers rank in the percentile. He is phenomenal. He's walking out of Indianapolis with a historic combine. His 7.373 cone drill was inside the 81st percentile overall of defensive tackles. His 48340 was in the 96th percentile of all defensive tackles. It was also the fastest time by a defensive tackle on the first 10 yards over the last 2 seasons per uh Next Gen NFL stats. They tweet out this Texas AM defensive tackle Justin Matabike was one of the biggest winners of the night, rushing for a 483 40 yard dash, 1.373 10 yard split at 293 pounds. Matabike also recorded a 7.373 cone drill, the fastest of a DT over the last two years. I think now you got to look at some of the other things that he was able to do. Mike Elko did a fantastic job getting him ready for the NFL by playing him in multiple gaps and multiple schemes. I think it was Thursday afternoon, he was talking a little bit about what he believes he could play at the next level, and he's not sold that he cannot play anywhere. He was able to play as a one technique, a two-eye technique, a four technique, a three technique. He even played a little bit of five tech on the interior side, uh, going off of the guard's outside shoulder. So he's a multi-purpose player. I think that's the biggest thing. You want a guy who's going to come in and make plays and be dominant and find ways to win at all levels of the field. This is a guy who can do it. And he's a guy who can win in the trenches. A lot of people also were very pleased with his arms. 34 and a half arm length. I think he had a 79 wingspan. Even though he is a smaller defensive tackle, those arms are going to allow him to extend out. So when you think about it, Think about how you are trying to push yourself off against a wall, and you want to get the most balance by stepping out as far as possible. When you do that, you're extending your body. When you extend your body, you can be a little more nimble with your feet. You can be a little more nimble with your approach. You can bull rush. You can find ways to maybe even, uh, you know, grab and pull. You can find ways to shark and swat and swim under. You can spin out of deals. You can shuck a player. There's many ways that you look at this where you win. And Matty Bk with his arm length is going to be able to do that at the next level. And then I think you got to throw in that 40 time. You don't see many guys running a 4.83 sub 300 sub really anything like near 300. I mean I, I'm trying to remember Tristan Worfs, who was the tackle out of Iowa ran a 3.84. And he was 340. That's a freak of nature. But at the same time, he was an all-state wrestler in college, in high school, and he was an all-track, all-purpose track and field guy for his high school as well. So he's a freak athlete who's going to have that speed. Matabike? he was third in de- uh, fi- uh, seventh in defensive tackles, pure defensive tackles, not defensive linemen, just defensive tackles. I think he was third overall in 40-yard dashes you have the speed you have the arm size you have the ability to win at the line of scrimmage you're a multi-purpose player i look at all of that and i sit here and go okay i want this guy on my team because if, if i'm playing a three four i can play him as a four tech i can maybe play him as a five tech maybe add a little bit more weight on him just to get him a little bit more acquainted and if i'm playing in a four three I can move him into a one-gap system at a 2 i or a three-tech and let him thrive because that's all he did at College Station when he was playing that role. I mean, he had 105 tackles, 24.5 tackles for losses, 11 career sacks this past year leading the team in sacks, also an interception, five forced fumbles, and four pass deflections. Guy's going to win at every single level. You want players who can win like that at every single level. So for me, it solidified him as a top 50 player on most draft boards, but it also solidified him as a guy who is multi-purpose, and you cannot say, oh, he only fits this system. Or, oh, when you watch the tape, he only does it well when he's in this position. He can really do it all. And I think that's a huge positive with teams looking for defensive hybrid players that need to be able to kind of contend and find ways to win at multiple levels of the field, especially in different defensive formations. I don't think he's a day one starter, but I do think he's a role player early on in his career, which will allow him to be a high draft pick. The question is now, where do you draft him? I mean, is he merited of a first round grade or is that early day 2 selection like some of the scouts I've been talking to are saying is more plausible? Well, we'll be breaking that down in just a quick moment. Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, remember, make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Podcast Network at LockedOnPodcast.com and follow us on all of our social media platforms at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and last but certainly not least, at Locked On Aggies. We're talking NFL Combine and we're breaking down Justin Matabike, the final player from Texas A&M who made their mark at the NFL Combine this weekend. And you know what? They always save, save the best for last. He was the best for last. We already announced it. 7.373 cone drill, 96 percentile. Uh, 483, 40-yard time, 96 percentile. 1.37, 10 yard dash. Incredible numbers there. Uh, 31 reps on the bench press. Guy's going to be a top 50 pick. The question is, where does he fall in that top 50? Well, according to two NFL draft analysts, they believe he could be in play at pick number 27 for the Seattle Seahawks, and ESPN's Todd McShay came out with his recent mock draft today, stating that he believes that Matabike will be the final pick of the first round if the Kansas City Chiefs stay there as a long-term addition to Steve Spagnuolo's defensive line. So we're going to break down our top five favorite places for Matabike, and I'm just going to start with the first one, and it is Kansas City. The only reason I don't have Kansas City higher is because of the news that Chris Jones is getting franchise tagged. Depending on what you do with that information, that's up to you. I don't think Jones is leaving Kansas City. You can't after the two seasons he's had back-to-back. He led the NFL last year in sacks as a defensive end. He's done a fantastic job in the trenches this past year. I think he had 12.5 sacks, if I'm not mistaken. And he's an animal. He's a guy who is going to win you battles 9 out of 10 times. And if he doesn't win that 10th time, it's probably because he's getting double teamed. It's not because of his own merit. You don't just franchise tag someone like that and think, okay, well, we're just going to find a way to trade him. They did that last year with D. Ford, but they had a backup plan by bringing in Frank Clark. I think he fits Steve Spagnuolo's defense and I'm not going to rule this out because I think it'd be a great addition to a line, but I'm not sold that this is the best place for him. Number four for me is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and here's why. Jacksonville runs a base 4-3 defense, and they are going to need to find a way to add some more depth to that defensive line. Yes, they have Taven Bryan, who is supposed to be the next coming at defensive tackle. He's been okay in his second year, Third year is going to be the year where he really needs to break out. And they just released Marcel Darius. Veteran defensive tackle. Spent many years with Buffalo, then goes to Jacksonville. I mean, it makes sense. But I'm looking at, right now, with him being gone, they have a glaring need of defensive tackle. They have two first-round picks. I think if they were to go whether it be linebacker with Isaiah Simmons or Patrick Queen at pick number 20, or you look at a guy like a cornerback in Christian Fulton at pick number 19, if some freaking miracle, Jeffrey Akuda, who I think is probably the second-best defensive player in this year's draft, falls to number 9, they're going to take him, and that's going to be a slam-dunk pick. So if they address those needs or they go offensive tackle to pair with Jawan Taylor to move Cam Robinson inside, I do think that Matabike would be a great addition with that early second-round pick. They have an early second, that I do think that they're going to be able to turn into something. Maybe they trade one of their first-round picks to turn it into something a little bit more, and maybe it's at the end of the first round, they they trade with a team that wants to move up to go get a quarterback or they want to go get a linebacker, and they feel comfortable with their linebacking presence. Maybe pick 31. That would be the pick where Jacksonville takes Matabike, and I would have no problem with it. But I think that that is the fourth best team for him right now. Number three for me is Seattle. I love where Mel Kuyper and Ryan Wilson are going with this pick because Seattle is going to have needs on the defensive line. One of the biggest names they're returning is a guy who played very limited snaps in LJ Collier last year. They're probably going to lose Ezekiel Alonso. They're definitely going to lose Jadavian Clowney. They could lose Jaron Reed. And they could lose a few other players who are definitely quality, you know, rotational specialist, they don't have much options in the trenches. Matabike can play in, I think, what Pete Carroll loves to run out in Seattle. And a lot of people are just saying, oh, the former 12th man goes to the NFL 12th man. That'd be a great story. I mean, it would literally be a story I would love to write just because of, oh, let's tie in what does it mean to be the 12th man in Seattle versus the 12th man in College Station. And just bring up conversations about that. But, Seattle's also known for trading out of the first round a ton. John Schneider loves to build draft picks. He loves to get guys who are very, very well-rounded players on days 2 and 3. And turn them into franchise guys. The Legion of Boom had one player in the first round. And everyone else was 5th or lower. I mean, Byron Maxwell was an undrafted free agent. Richard Sherman went in the 5th round. Cam Chancellor, 6th round. Schneider knows how to draft. But if he drafts out of the number 27 spot, Matabike is off the table. Number 2 is the team where he was just at, the Indianapolis Colts. They're going to have a ton of money to spend in free agency. So if defensive tackle is a need for them, they're not going to have to really worry about it. They can draft whoever they want at pick 13 or at pick 46. Either one, Matabike, I think, would be in play, but I definitely think it would be more so at pick 46 over 13. But say they go out and they go get a couple of wide receivers. All right, well, next need is quarterback. Say they go get Teddy Bridgewater or Phillip Rivers. Okay, well, the next need is probably cornerback. Say they go get a premier corner or an outside linebacker like Jadavian Clowney. Defense to tackle looks like a pretty safe bet for a team that needs to find a weapon to win inside. Uh, I think Matt Abikian would be a great fit in Matt Eberfloss's scheme. I very much think that this is a guy who would enjoy playing in the AFC South, going against teams who have weapons, teams who have really strong quarterback play uh, at Houston. I think Gardner Minshew's going to take that next step. I think Ryan Tannehill has had a rebirth from Tennessee, so I could see him thriving there, going to bring up against the tackles, going to bring up against the quarterbacks. Causing disruption. But ultimately, I said the Houston, Texas, because that's gonna lead into the team that I definitely think wants him, a team that definitely will be in play for him. And if they have to trade up on day two to get him, I think they would. And it's the Dallas Cowboys. I think everything right now points to him going to Dallas. Let's just look at the facts just based off of without even going past the fact that Dallas needs a need for a three tech. He's a Dallas native. He still stays in contact with a bunch of Dallas coaches. Maurice Lindquist, the former defensive back coach at Texas A&M, will be on staff at Dallas this year. He grew up as a Cowboys fan. All great storylines. Now let's look at the actual need for the position. They're going to let go of players this upcoming offseason. They have to. They cannot pay everyone. They've already announced that they're probably going to let Byron Jones walk in free agency. Tyrone Crawford's probably going to walk. And there's a few other guys that are definitely going to be gone. I just look at this lineup and Tristan Hill I don't think is the future of a three technique and they're going to spend all their money on getting Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper back. So they're going to need to go address the cornerback need. We'll go get Christian Fulton or CJ Henderson or Xavier McKinney. This upcoming offseason. And then after that, go draft Matabike at pick 57. And if you got to move up to go get him, move up to go get him. He's worth it. And he's a player that definitely would love to play for the Cowboys. And he fits a need. So ultimately, I do think right now, I don't, I'm not sold that he's a first-round talent. I do believe he's a second-round talent. And the way that the draft is probably going to fall... Matt could land in Dallas' lap, and I think that's the best fit for him. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked On Aggies. Tomorrow, we'll be keeping you up to date with the Leon O'Neal news and also previewing L- uh, Auburn versus AM. It's the final road game for Aggies basketball this year. Can they get the job done? Will they be able to prevail? Listen tomorrow. We'll see you then. And remember, him y'all. This has been. Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.